0: welcome to the way shamanism podcast i'm your host jessica i am an essay shaman and here i share all about my work with you and this is all based on my own experiences and opinions never a substitute for medical advice let's Greetings, begin girl, our journey welcome to my world of my life, to hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the podcast i'm so happy you're here something really cool just happened i was journeying this morning And I was journeying with the seraphim, and these are these huge, massive, archangel-like angelic beings that consist of wings with infinite eyes on them. And right after the journey, I look on my phone, I check my messages, I see that my client or my apprentice's client for today canceled because his flight was delayed, so I gave the journey to someone in our shamanic initiation circle, and she said that I made her weak. And then I look at my calendar, and this feather just magically appeared right on the session. So crazy. I love when these little inexplicable magical moments happen. Today's episode is going to be about something quite different, though, about Mormonism. And... I want to preface this episode by saying that if you're a Mormon, if you're in the LDS, if you're a former LDS member, and you maybe feel offended by this episode, just know that I'm not trying to single out Mormonism in any way. I don't like any religious institution. And if you have a history with Mormonism, it's all the more important that you do listen, because a lot of the teachings I'm going to share today have to do with the church as it was established and not necessarily the daily teachings that they share. So you will probably get some more new information from this episode. And the reason that I want to cover Mormonism is because we have been talking in the past episodes, especially the ones that you love about the holidays, about the different rituals the more magical historical stuff and also the demonic one of the five tentacles of the cabal or the brotherhood or lucifer on earth is actually mormonism and we've covered satanism or luciferianism in the past i have touched on the jesuit catholic branch here and there and mormonism is one that we haven't covered yet then there's also the Kabbalistic branch And that is, you can see it as Essene shamanism, but way more advanced and actually inverted. So instead of bringing heaven on earth, essentially bringing hell on earth. And then there's also the Mormon branch and the Mormon and the Masonic branch are very much interwoven in Mormonism. I'm gonna try and keep it to the point and concise, but still I just have this feeling that it's gonna be a long episode. So bear with me and let's just jump right in. Mormonism was started by Joseph Smith, I'm sure that you've heard of this name, in the early 19th century. He came from an occult witchcraft family. His dad was heavily involved in the occult. He did water witching and divination. And he also used the occult for treasure seeking. This was in the kind of gold rush time. So it was quite common that people would, just like now, use their occult practices to try and get rich. And his mother said in her autobiography that the family would cast magic circles and that they belong to the faculty of abrac. That's actually where Abracadabra comes from. It is a sort of bastardization, is that how you call it? It's based on a occult magical um, word that invokes demons. But the Faculty of abrac is a form of witchcraft that does ceremonial magic. So he came from a completely occult witchcraft family. And he was in the occult his whole life. And that was just what Joseph Smith knew. It's just what he grew up with. So the official story of how he went to create and establish Mormonism and the Mormon church is that he went out into the woods, as one does, into a sacred grove where he knelt and he prayed to God about what church to join. Then he was overcome with a profound darkness, so dark that he thought that he would suffocate to death. This is already a red flag. (laughs) And then a pillar of light appeared. And you guys, if you've been listening for a while, you already know that Lucifer is the light bearer, like the light bringer is what they call him. And then two beings appeared in white robes and they told him that all churches were an abomination and that he should start a new one. Now, after two weeks, he joins the Methodist church. This is already kind of weird when he would be instructed, say that it was by God to establish his own church, that he would then go and join a Methodist church. doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And in the first place, I don't see... I absolutely believe in God, and I also believe in Yeshua. But he didn't go to church, as far as I know. They did go to the temple. They had, you know, temple ceremonies. But I don't have any connection with religious institutions in general, like I mentioned. So... He was then kicked out of this Methodist church for being an occultist and a scryer. So for those of you who don't know what scrying is, scrying is looking into a crystal ball and predicting the future. Then he was visited in his bedroom by an quote-unquote angel called Moroni, who told Joseph Smith that after three years, he could go and dig up a box in the woods that had gold plates in it. Then on September 21st which is the equinox and a cult holiday he went and got them and he had to translate them and that became the book of mormon so he created the book of mormon and what does it actually say well the story is that during the time of jeremiah the prophet when israel was sliding a family of righteous jews were told to leave jerusalem to the new world so they sailed to america and this guy then has two sons Nephi, who is the good guy, and Laman, who is the bad guy, and his offspring then became more and more wicked over time, over generations, and then they are cursed with dark skin, and they become the Native Americans. Well, later they were baptized, and they turned white again. Racism is inherent to the teachings of this church and the Book of Mormon, and very, very long, boring story short, is that then the Nephites, so the good line, who were light and delightsome, as they say, they stay good, and then at some point Jesus comes down and sets up a church as a new sort of Jerusalem, and then he goes back, and then things hit the fan again, and the plates are buried, until Joseph Smith, of course, goes and digs them up and translates them. Well, in 1830, the Church of Christ, later called Jesus Christ's, Latter-day Saints. That's what LDS stands for, Latter-day Saints. He says, I have more to boast of than any other man. No man has done as great a work as I have. Not even Jesus Christ has done so great a work as I have done. No man has ever been able to keep a church together. So that's what he says about himself in relation to Jesus Christ. And he also said that he was a descendant of Jesus. And we also know that he was an occultist, a glass looker, a gold digger. He was also arrested (laughs) for being a disorderly person. So the church says that when we die, we face three judges. So we face God, Jesus, and also Joseph Smith. So he places himself in line with God and Jesus, but a little bit better than Jesus. What's very interesting, and we will get further into this, is that he was also a Freemason. He was also a serial adulterer or cheated. He married other men's wives. And (laughs) sorry, this is just all so funny to me. So he married other guys' wives. I think he was also arrested for that at some point and at the time of his death he had 27 wives and many of them were also married to other men so this is a practice that you still see in the church there is a documentary now about everything that happened with warren jeff's a few years ago who was the current prophet of the church they say that a living prophet is better than a dead prophet so whoever is the head of the church is god to them And that guy, Warren Jeffs, who was a pedophile child molester, he also had many, many wives. It's kind of up in the air now. They say that they abolished polygamy, but they haven't. It's still an active practice, but there's a lot of compromise that happened over the decades to kind of appease and compromise with law and still they have these communes where they have all of their practices that they do believe in so this warren jeff sky he excommunicated many many hundreds i think even thousands of young men from their community because they would be a threat they would be competition to all of the wives that they wanted to marry, who would be the same age as those young men. So that created a huge amount of defectors and homeless people. So let's go back to the history a little bit first. Well, after the revelation that he had about polygamy, he married a girl in his home, who worked in his home, who was about 15 or 16. So that's a child. So the sexual perversion is also inherent to this institution. And we'll go later also into why that is. Well, they were run out of a few places and they ended up in Illinois. And there he became a Mason, a Freemason. So he joined Freemasonry and he started to introduce the secret temple ceremonies into Mormonism. So, when you go into masonry and you're initiated into all of these degrees, there are different teachings, different handshakes, different rituals, different oaths, and initiations that you go through. This is why it's an evil institution. You may have an uncle or know people who are masons who probably don't know this themselves because. There are levels to the darkness that you are initiated into through the oaths that you take. But the oaths that you take, they are adaptations of oaths and rituals that have existed for hundreds, even thousands of years in witchcraft and occultism. So the people who undergo these oaths don't necessarily even know that they are being initiated into Luciferianism instead of the sort of light, soft Christianity that they have woven into a lot of these Masonic temples. So there is an inevitable path to sexual perversion that comes with these occult rituals. And if you have listened to my previous podcast episodes, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. These are the rituals that in the 20th century were kind of repopularized by Aleister Crowley. So when you go through these steps, you have certain demons attached to you. So you are on a road that inevitably leads to that perversion of the spirit. So this is why when people take these oaths, this is also why God says to not take any oaths, guys. Because there's a lot of masking involved with those that you take. And a lot of trickery. Because what the dark spirits do is they manufacture consent. And when you take an oath, you are consenting. And when you are not informed enough, that's your problem. That's how they see it. So people who come from occultism and a witchcraft background and who have been doing those kind of darker rituals and ceremonies maybe as part of their family line they will know exactly what they're doing because they will go into masonry and they will actually recognize the rituals and the oaths so they will know exactly what they're getting into but for the vast majority of people especially those who never go above let's say maybe even the third degree of masonry they don't know this So this is why I find it really important to do these episodes, because when I get clients who have entity attachments and it's severe, I will give them a checklist and usually there will be some family member who took these oaths, whether it's in masonry or in the form of voodoo or hoodoo or witchcraft. These are all massive, massive open doorways. And what Joseph Smith did, very opportunistically, he joined masonry And he copied those rituals for his own religion. So he started to introduce what they call the secret temple ceremonies. Also, if they are so beautiful and light and connect you with God, why would they have to be secret? So he copied them. Then he was crowned king of the US. He even ran for president. The newspaper then accused him of polygamy. So that started a riot to destroy the printing press. This really reminds me of the tactics that Scientology has used against the IRS to just bully them with endless lawsuits to keep them tax-exempt and the whole Bogwan cult who started to terrorize their local communities. So he was then arrested during this riot and he got shot. And based on that, he is described as a martyr. So think of that what you will. And witnesses say that his last words were, is there no hope for the widow's son? So this is a Masonic cry of help. And they will put their arms in the hair in a 90 degree angle. And this is the Masonic hailing sign of distress. So in Masonry, they take oaths to protect and help their brothers. And those oaths override any religion, constitution, they are above everything. So this is why in the court system, they will all help each other. So they have these signs that they use and apply. So those were his last words. Also, if you're on your phone or near your laptop, Google Mormon temples. If you've never seen a Mormon temple, this will blow your mind. And we'll go into the architecture a little bit too, because I personally am super, super fascinated with this and have been for the longest time. So then under Brigham Young, also a prophet of Mormonism, they openly practiced polygamy. They would still have these terroristic tactics, which basically means they had their own hitmen or killers who they called avenging angels. They suppressed women. This still happens. We'll go into that a little bit too. And they sent in troops, which were called the Mormon Wars, To take away all of the assets of the Mormons if they didn't stop polygamy. So there was this ongoing war with the U.S. against him. And the Mormons today have crazy assets. They control much of the food supply. They are very influential in politics. And of course they wanted to protect their lifestyle, their perverted lifestyle, their assets. So then he got a quote-unquote revelation. Perfect timing to stop polygamy. So this is the official story. So officially since then, they don't have any plural marriage. Then in the 20th century, they became more mainstream and Mitt Romney, one of the most famous Mormons, was nominated for president. He lost because of racism. Big surprise. Then they started to admit black people. Of course, great coincidence. The prophet had a quote-unquote revelation to admit black people to the priesthood. That's what they call it, the priesthood. And they think that everyone who is a active Mormon should become a priest. Of course, if you're a man. So since then, they've admitted black people. But interracial marriage is still very much frowned upon. And they teach that the African race is inferior And there's lots of criticism about this. And because of the criticism, the attacks, their limited political influence, it made it so that they then changed things up a little bit and compromised and became outwardly a little bit less racist. Well, I already mentioned that a cornerstone of their faith is that having a living prophet is better than first of all, the biblical prophet, but also better than a dead one. Another few points that are interesting to know about their faith is that they say that the Bible isn't absolute. It's only as good as it can be depending on its translation. This I agree with actually. Then there is the law of eternal progression. This is super, super fascinating as well. They think that you in your plural marriages will have many, many spirit babies, millions of them, and ultimately you will live with them as a king, as a god in your own solar system. What's also super fascinating is that they baptize the dead. So they are super, super into genealogy. It means that they have all the records of all the ancestors. And you should be very weary of working with programs like 23andMe and Ancestry and those things because they come from the Masonic obsession with bloodlines. This goes back to their occult roots and the knowledge that people with certain genes, certain genetics, will be, in their eyes, better at certain forms of psychic ritual occult practices, And will be really great targets to use to invoke demonic presence on earth. That's really what it's all about ultimately. But because they baptize the dead, you have a duty to redeem as a Mormon. The dead at least four generations both sides and be baptized for them. And then they say that your ancestors are freed from spirit jail. So... What this means is that on their records, for every person who is a Mormon who's baptized, they have at least eight more people. So on their records, they have a huge amount of people, and two thirds of them are probably at least dead people. They also say that every worthy mill should hold the priesthood. Then they have this fasting and testimony meeting once a month. This is kind of like a brainwashing event where people fast, and then they give their testimony. So they will just proclaim, it's kind of like this love bombing of the faith. Then their temples are built identical to the Temple of Solomon, that's what they say. Another interesting fact is that when you look at people who work in the CIA and the FBI, a vast majority of them is apparently Mormon. This is because there is a certain initiation involved in working in three-letter agencies and also the fact that Mormons are very pious, so they don't drink alcohol, they don't smoke, they don't drink coffee. They're also very rich. I mentioned the food storage that they have. They have their own supplies, their own industries, their own farms and factories. They also, interestingly, have a massive MLM, industry, so multi-level marketing. They have their own welfare system. And that is, I mean, pretty great that they at least take care of of their own people. If you're a Mormon, the church will look after you. So what do they actually believe? I mentioned the sci-fi celestial aspect a little bit, which fascinates me because it's so similar to Scientology. So What's also quite interesting is that when you and I don't want to draw a comparison in any way, but when you start journeying, you learn that there are infinite species of multidimensional beings out there and they know this, they use this, but it's a very dark demonic twist to everything. So just comparing it to Christianity, and I'm not a Christian, so I don't consider myself an absolute expert, but they don't believe in the Trinity, but they believe that there are millions of gods. So they believe in this polytheistic multiverse. So they say that God the Father is not a spirit, but a man of many body parts and passions. So he is a guy. He is an extraterrestrial who lives on the planet Kolob. And sometimes he will come into the Mormon temple. And this will raise a red flag for you if you listen to my episode on Satanism and Luciferianism. Because what they believe is that man is God. God is man. We become God. We then rule as gods. So this is very much in that philosophy. So they say, as God is, man may become. And they call that the law of eternal progression. So you are eternally progressing into godhood. This is what Satanists believe as well. They say that God is constantly growing and changing, but that God is also ruled by a committee of gods over him, so they can also fire God. And a major red flag here is that they have these opportunistic political loopholes everywhere, which mean that if there is a living prophet who rules the Mormon church, he can change everything around as he sees fit. So comparing this to what Christians think, according to Christianity, there are not many gods. There is one unchangeable God and God is a spirit. That's very clear. That's all over scripture. But according to Mormonism, Jesus is one of the many sons of God and Lucifer and every one of us Is his spirit brother. So we all exist as brothers of Jesus, including Lucifer. And this is another highly Luciferian thought, vein of thought. And then God came to earth, he had sex with one of his daughters, Mary, to conceive Jesus. This is what they believe. And they don't teach this openly, but it is in the foundations of their beliefs. And another tricky thing is that they use the same terminology as the Bible, another very opportunistic way of working. But they have different definitions of the words. So if you don't know this, it seems like Mormonism, this is what I always thought, like it's a form of Christianity, but it's totally different. Because when you look deeper into it and you know these details, It's basically a form of Masonic Luciferianism in a Christian-looking jacket, but it is totally dark. Now, their salvation system is also very interesting. They have different levels and realms. So they say that the darkest place that you can go is the outer darkness. This is like hell. This is reserved for certain sins. Then there's the Telestial Kingdom. This is for non-believers or bad believers, bad Mormons. This is where you live forever in a place that's kind of similar to Earth. The next level is the kind of Garden of Eden, heavenly realm, the terrestrial kingdom. This is for hardworking people of any religion who will go there. This is also interesting for any religion. Most religions, which I think is total nonsense, believe that their religion is the only way, but not masonry and I believe also not luciferianism because they want to have their tentacles in everything. Then there's the celestial kingdom and Mormons who've been to the temple and have upheld all the covenants will go to the celestial kingdom which is impossible because there are thousands of rules. There are over 4,000 commandments to keep. So probably no one has ever, in their system, been qualified to go there. They say that anyone who doesn't make it to the celestial kingdom is eternally damned. Eternally. So everyone in Mormonism, according to Mormonism, (laughs) is damned. Now we get into the more serious stuff, blood atonements. Blood atonement is a doctrine. It means that it's a law or a rule. They say that Jesus, who which I totally agree with just based on the work that I've done and the experience that I've had, there is something about the bloodshed of Yeshua on earth that has atoned for us so that we can legally be free from entity attachment, if we want to and if we don't consent. What Mormons believe, and every religion has their own version of this or interpretation, is that not all sins can be atoned for by the bloodshed of Jesus, which means that you have to atone for certain sins with bloodshed. So this is where it gets really creepy. And some of these are murder, adultery, homosexuality, marrying a black person, and what they call apostasy from the true church, so not being a good Mormon. And I know that there are people who have also experienced blood atonement even when they stole a cookie out of the cookie jar. Their parents would just cut them open and bleed them over the sink to atone for it. You see this belief in politics today because first of all, let's just say that death penalty is absolutely barbaric. but Utah, which is very much known as a Mormon state, is the only one with a firing squad because that's the only way that you can actually shed blood so that when you are when you get the death penalty, you bleed as opposed to getting the electric chair or a lethal injection. Well, with blood, there is something about it where Yeshua made the ultimate sacrifice for us. So, blood is very important. It's also the reason why lots of darker entities are very interested in the water on earth because it contains some form of Yeshua's blood. And it contains soul rights. Blood contains soul rights. And I'm absolutely positive that they know this. So, when these Blood rituals are applied, it creates some spiritual tie or leverage. And demonic entities are very bloodthirsty. They will come around menstrual periods, they will attach to people, make them cut themselves. And I believe that because of Yeshua's bloodshed, we're always protected against the demonic to some degree. But It's extremely creepy that religions are using these doctrines to twist people's minds into thinking that doing this will save them in any way, while they're actually just creating a huge amount of demonic attachments, which they believe, because we have a few things about us that make us unique and are kind of like our godly, unique blueprints, and Some of those are our name, which is our godly breath sound. We have our fingerprints, our footprints, we have our blood. And those they all use in occult practices to get soul rights from people, which means that they can attach demons and that they can create this massive army to go into the heavenly throne room and try and overthrow God because they need humans. To do this because all of Lucifer's generals have been excommunicated. They're not allowed to get into the throne room of God. So it has to do with all of this stuff. So when you know this, you can interpret a religion or an institution in a very, very different way. And also what's different from the Bible is that the Bible says that faith is enough to save you, but Mormons say that the Bible's flawed, so that doesn't go. They say it's insufficient and that it needs to be corrected by a living prophet. So there you go again with the opportunism. They can just instate a living prophet to be the head of the church and just change whatever they see fit in the rules. And not just the rules, the political rules, but the actual, let's say, religious core to what they say that they believe in. These are some of the doctrines Of the church as it was established through the Book of Mormon, so that a living prophet is better than a dead one. Brigham Young said no black person would ever hold the priesthood until every white man on earth attained it, so totally racist. No one who doesn't have more than one wife can attain the celestial kingdom and we already know that they have way too many rules for anyone to be able to do so, so according to them everyone is doomed. The Mormon temple is a Luciferian initiation, and it's based on invitation. What you see when you look at the building is that the satanic pentagram, so the inverted pentagram, is everywhere. And they say that it's one of the most powerful ways to invoke Lucifer. It's all over the temple. What's actually more powerful is the inverted hexagram. And you don't see that on the main Mormon temple in Utah, but on a different one. But every aspect of the temple, they say, is an expression in stone of their doctrine. And we should apply this principle to everything we see. I studied art history, and you study architecture there as well, and you just learn that everything that you see around you, nothing is left to chance, especially in important or seemingly important buildings, government buildings, religious buildings, even other art forms like music videos, commercials, shopping malls, nothing is left to chance. There is always something that they are trying to invoke, even just through the geometry and the dimensions of it. So Joseph Smith himself, he had instructions for the temple, and the This starts in the way that the temple stones, the foundation is laid out. And this is what masons do as well. They will lay the stones out of the foundation in a specific way, in a specific geometry, all of course to invoke demons. And in the temple, they are laid out according to black magic. So the temple is built in its foundation. The best way to describe it is counterclockwise, so against the sun. And I have an episode about megapolisomancy. So this is a form of magic in architecture to create buildings and cities that attract demons. And this has to do with their geometry. And geometry is a way that we connect to spirits. And this is because everything is vibration. So when you look at massive cathedrals... They are actually massive batteries because they harness energy. They pull energy out of the ether. Everything is electricity and magnetism. And through the geometry, they will have it move in a certain way that it's harnessed. So you can see especially ancient architecture as massive powerhouses and batteries that just use let's say energy, free energy based on their geometry, but you can even see this in the way that diamonds are cut or geometry in lace even. Or of course these symbols that we recognize like the pentagram, they're all geometry. Then there is this called practice called archaeometry. This is kind of like numerology but on buildings and it's all about the proportions and the dimensions. So you will see lots of sixes, lots of thirteens. So let's say there will be six spires everywhere or six windows, like that kind of thing. And of course, a lot more advanced and a lot more complex than I am um, explaining it here. But everywhere on the temple, there are inverted pentagrams, all seeing eyes that are highly significant to the Brotherhood. There are Masonic handshakes everywhere. We'll get into this a little bit, too, because they use them in their rights, too. They have the Big Dipper or Ursa Major on it, the constellation. This is actually what they call the space dragon with seven heads, or Nuit, or the evil mother or witch. It's basically Lilith, and she is a head demon in a feminine aspect, also called Jezebel. What's quite interesting is that when you read Essene books, they also speak of this dragon, As a head demon. But for Mormons, of course, it's a symbol of the priesthood. (laughs) So there's also symbolism that refers to the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. And above the sun, which the sun for us is our main protector. We should do an episode on the sun. Because there are so many beings in a different heavenly dimension involved with the sun. And above the sun for the Mormons in their... A.k.a. Kronos, a.k.a. Satan. This is also an anagram for Santa, so I have a Christmas episode, if you haven't heard it yet, where I explain what Christmas has to do with Luciferianism. But Kronos, you can think of time, chronology, right? It gives us the illusion of linear time. There is something with the rings of Saturn and how it suppresses our consciousness so the Big Dipper is also the star Sirius, also called the Doc Star, which you see in every Masonic Lodge. This is also why the women's department of the Masonic Lodge is called the Eastern Star. This is Sirius, it's highly significant to their occult practices. What you will also see a lot on the temples is a frustrum or a trapezoid shape. So it's a pyramid shape with the top cut off. This is highly significant to Satanism as well. This is why it's typical for haunted houses. It attracts demons. Of course, there's nothing Christian on their buildings in any way. So you cannot just go into the temple. You have to wear a kind of cloth, same as Druids do in their rituals. So you can see very much in the testimonies of people who have gone through these temple initiations that it's exactly just borrowed from witchcraft and masonry. So you go in, then all your crevices and openings in your body are washed and then anointed, because you are going to become a priest or priestess. Then you will receive what they call a temple garment, which is kind of an underwear that all the Mormons wear. I'm sure that you've heard of it. It's kind of like this white underwear suit that has all of this occult and Masonic symbolism. On it, And there are specific gauges in specific places. And of course, they are the Masonic Square and Compass. They say that it's for protection, but it's kind of like an amulet to invoke spirits on your body. And they can never take it off, not even when they're in the shower or when they have sex or give birth. They will have all of these workarounds so they can keep their underwear on. Then there are the other Masonic connections because of course we know that Joseph Smith was a Freemason and he copied not just the initiation rituals from witchcraft but also the handshakes. Another thing that he borrowed from the occult is that when you go into the temple initiation you get a secret name. This is very significant. This is what you will be called by when you rise up out of the grave. That's what they believe. So in the occult When you know someone's secret name so think again of what i mentioned with the breath sound they think that they have occult power over them so they do this secret name stuff in skull and bones as well and they are all demon names or pagan gods which are also demons now i'll just give you the most dark occult highlights of this initiation ritual in the temple where they give they transmit what they call the mormon doctrine which they call opposition in all things what this is is hegelian doctrine or controlled struggle they use it to explain how the universe works so they say that there's a struggle between god and lucifer nothing new there and in the book of mormon if you want to read it don't read it though but it's in second nephi they say that Everything needs opposition. So everything, even God needs opposition. There is good and evil counterparts to everything. So good cannot exist without evil. God cannot exist without Lucifer. And they say that everything has a good and evil counterpart. Then Lucifer comes into the Garden of Eden wearing a blue and white apron. The colors actually represent Atlantis, which Mormons believe in. They know that they communicated telepathically in Atlantis. They could levitate. Because obviously, inherent to this institution, this is what I'm trying to make clear, is that they are obsessed with occultism and witchcraft. And they want to attain this level of ability again. In masonry, in the brotherhood. So they think that the highest Atlantean priests wore blue and white robes. That's what this represents. And then the apron shape of it, it covers the penis. And this has to do with a myth of Osiris. This is also why they're so obsessed with ancient Egypt. There is this story that the myth goes that Osiris and Isis, they were brother and sister, also... Married, So she was kind of like his sister wife, no pun intended. Maybe that's where that whole concept comes from, I don't know. Whether it's incest or polyamory, they're both um, evil. But Osiris, his body was fragmented into many different pieces and they were able to find all of them except his penis. There's this whole story around it. This is why they cover that area, which is their godhood, of course, because it's a sex magic cult, ultimately, with an the apron. Then Satan comes in and he tells Eve to eat from the fruit of the tree of life or the, the tree of good and evil, so that the law of eternal progression, which we talked about, kind of kicks in on earth, which is the evil cycle of man wanting to become god. This is why God also reset the earth after Atlantis, because they were doing a lot of dark things to try and become gods. Now, the serpent in that tree is also the occult Rosicrucian snake. There is a lot of ancient mythology to this, again, borrowing from Satanism as well. So they eat from the fruit, and then they realize that the snake is actually Lucifer. So Adam starts to ask him a few questions, first about his apron, And Lucifer says, this is a symbol of my power and priesthood. And then they repeat those words. Then Adam prays and Lucifer answers and they say, Pele'el. And they repeat this a few times. And this actually in Hebrew means marvelous false god. Then as this story is told in the temple initiation, everyone has to put on their own apron. But that one is not blue and white it's actually green and it has like fig leaves embroidered onto it so this is because green is the color of lucifer the fig leaf is worn by Satanists as well it's associated with the third degree of ceremonial magic so again it's something that joseph smith copied and Green is the color of Lucifer because he is identified with the planet Venus, which looks slightly green. And its metal is copper, which also turns slightly green. And they say that Lucifer is the great initiator here, Uh, definitely in this temple, right? Then the hand signs and oaths are given, which are connected with that whole blood atonement philosophy. So they will make gestures on their body, like slitting their throat. Like in masonry, they have you do this to kind of instill that if you turn against the brotherhood, your throat is slit and you're gutted. And again, never take oaths. This is why. You don't know what you're being initiated into. So then Lucifer keeps teaching more doctrine. And he says to everyone in the room that if this is kind of a real loudspeaker kind of situation, that if you don't keep every commandment, you will be in Lucifer's power. So we already know that that is pretty much everyone who cannot follow their 4,000 rules. Then you learn the handshakes. They're actually Masonic handshakes that are also identical to those in witchcraft. So then you go into a room which has a veil, with, again, the square and compass gauges in it. And then there are prayer requests in the center of the room, and everyone has to get around and sit in a circle with a specific, like, handshake, and they pray. It's the same setup as a witch's Sabbath, and it's just conducted in the same way because, first of all, Joseph Smith probably grew up doing this his whole life, given his family's involvement in the occult. Then you get, again, through a veil, a second name. So what happens is through this veil, there is this guy in the temple who will do these gestures and handshakes with you. So you put your hand through the veil, and then someone on the other end basically pretends to be God, and he embraces you where you touch feet, you touch your knee, you touch your breast, and you have your hand to each other's backs and then mouth to ear. And he will kind of like whisper in your ear, Um, This uh, second name. So what this whole body positioning thing is, is the Masonic Five Points of Fellowship. So again, something that's borrowed. Then this second name is kind of like a little, like a couple of phrases. And they think that this is like the most sacred code word to get into heaven. But it's the same as a let's say phrase that they use in satanic rituals as an incantation but it's kind of like the sanitized version of it and then you go into a celestial heavenly room where they believe that god walks around as well so this is the process that very few on invitation kind of go through and then they go into what they call a ceiling room This is where you're sealed. It's not like high ceilings, although probably also high ceilings. If you look at the temple, it's kind of it looks like a wedding cake. It's very white and sterile and very interesting. So that room is for you to kind of bask in heavenly presence and you need to remember all of these secret things that you were just taught to get into heaven. And then you get the doctrine, so the teaching of eternal increase. So that is, you will go on to populate your own planet with all your spirit babies where you become the god. And I want to go back for a minute to the Hegelian dialectic that they impart as a teaching in this process. Obviously, it's important enough that they would include it in this initiation. But it's actually a satanic war principle So you would think, okay, sure, they talk about, you know, opposition in all things. There is dark and there is light. It all kind of fits and it makes sense. But in actuality, it gives away that this whole institution is about spiritual battle. What this principle is about, it's quite easy. It's just conflict creates change and controlled conflict creates controlled change. Try and say that five times. So you decide the outcome that you want. So say your goal is, I want everyone in the world to get used to just giving away their sovereignty and receive unknown injections and wear masks and stay home and be pitted against each other. Then your controlled conflict would be, well, let's create a life-threatening virus as an emergency so that people will want to live this way. Or maybe you want to, as a country, have a presence in Afghanistan and Iraq and control the poppy field or the heroin supply and the ancient artifacts there, which are portals and gateways. So what you will do is create a controlled conflict where you create a war so that you invade and that you get your country on board with that. So maybe you will create a 9-11 collective trauma and keep showing those traumatizing images over and over again that will make people want to go to war with these areas, right? So it's a kind of very simple tactic that's used over and over again and it's been used in ancient history as well as today. It's used in every war, it's just a warfare principle. And it just comes down to thesis, antithesis, or antithesis, however you want to pronounce it. And you get synthesis. And the synthesis is a new system, a new reality. But built into this process, this strategy, is that you will, as an outcome, get a compromise on either side. But if you apply it over and over and over again, and you can apply it to anything, you will really shift things to your desired outcome. So this is what they teach in the church, not the way that I just explained it, but this is a major approach, just a major like foundation in strategy in modernist philosophy. And it's deceivingly simple, but people don't understand it and they don't recognize it very often. So Hegel received this idea, the Hegelian doctrine, from actually a Freemason or Cabal or Illuminati member. And this was taught, this principle of war, to the courts and the royals as far back as the 14th century that we know of. But we know that they also did this in the Roman Empire. So say that they wanted to expand their empire and move it. I've given this example before. They would just poison the local river and then people would want to move. So controlled change. So Mormonism is Luciferianism. And I know that this may be hard to hear for some people, but it is so important that we look at these major institutions that have so much political influence. We're eating their food, probably, and it's really a very interesting, I think, ideology when it comes to multidimensional warfare and the way that it's practiced. So Joseph Smith also called his inner circle the Illuminati. And in the early church, they also experimented with communism. So it doesn't get more obvious than that. They have this secret elite order that Joseph Smith started, and they call it the Council of It Fifth. It's just Council 50, but spelled backwards. And this, by the way, is also a demonic occult practice, spelling things backwards. They always want to turn everything upside down and make everything backwards. And they think that it's kind of like a you know secret language. So the Illuminati was Joseph Smith's. This is probably also just a name that he borrowed or copied. But it was his inner circle where he was crowned king of the U.S., And then they changed that council's name into the Freeman Institution. Then it was called the National Center of Constitutional Studies or something like that. So this is a really good example of... Ultimately, it's about occult practices that go on today that have to do with blood rights attaching demonic entities getting as many people involved into this as possible. So whether you go into a darker road of Kabbalistic practices, like the ones that Crowley adopted, or you go into the OTO, which is just his organization, or you go into deep into Jesuit Catholicism, or you go into straight up Luciferianism, or Mormonism, or Masonry, it all ends up In the same place. So all of these institutions around it, they are kind of like a mask and they will change names over time. They have endless sub strands and branches and councils and committees, but ultimately it's all the same thing. So I also already mentioned that a high, high percentage of CIA and FBI are Mormons and they're very influential in politics. So Even through Mormonism, it's interwoven into politics. And Mitt Romney, for example, was also a high Mormon priest. And they believe, this is also embedded into the foundations of the church, that they have a destiny, a mission to take over the U.S. And their first loyalty is always to the prophet of the LDS and not anything else or any country or constitution. So... What's also fascinating is that the Mormon temple has an exact replica of the Oval Office in the White House. Because they believe that when their Messiah comes back, he's going to be a spiritual ruler, but also a worldly ruler. Which means that he's going to be the president of the U.S. So they have that office ready, just totally equipped as well. They also have lots of land, huge industries. It was actually also so similar to masonry that the Masonic Lodge declared that Mormonism was a clandestine, like a fake Masonic Lodge. And they tried to kind of prosecute him for that because he copied everything to the extent that they said this is a Masonic Lodge. So occultism is all about becoming gods and trying to create as many versions as possible of the same practices to get a lot of people involved as many as possible. And the women are just breeders, especially in Mormonism, because even if you reach the highest level, you have to birth all of these celestial babies together with your sister wives, and that's then your destiny. And I find it very interesting that they do this breeding, because they do this in kind of underground Satanism as well, And this is why the genealogy is so important, because they want to know everyone's bloodline and they want to breed and interbreed the bloodlines, because they're just interested, especially in certain genetics, to do these rituals. You can also just see this demonic energy in just statistics, because Utah has the highest rate of teen pregnancies, teen suicides, Um, addictions, like medicine addictions, lots of issues that I see in my former Mormon clients, there's always entity attachment involved. So this is really important to just be aware of. And now you can also start to recognize these things, maybe in other institutions or other things that you observe around you. And ultimately, it all leads to this sexual perversion, which is really a byproduct of the demonic attachments and the energy that they need to invoke in their rituals. That's really what it's about. So I hope that you found this as fascinating as I do. I recommend, there. I think there's a book, I, I've read so many books on this, um, I think William Dr. William Schnebelin is a good one if you want to go like super deep into the details, and you will see these same things in, in many other cults or religions that we maybe don't know are cults. So I will see you in the next episode.